Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Allahumma salli ala sallamu Muhammad. I guess we should start. So, uh, let me turn this on. Go here. All right. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Nawayna ta'alamu wa ta'alimu wa ta'alimu wa ta'adhkiru wa nafa'u wa l-intifa'u wa l-ifadatu wa l-istifada wa l-hathara tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa dua alin huda wa dalalat alin khayr bitigha'a mardatillahi wa wajihihi wa qurbihi wa thawabi. Bismillah. So uh, last time we covered the uh, intro to the text and we covered the sections on beliefs and spiritual development, you could say. And so the hope is that today we can cover the section on purification and the section on prayer. So let's see how far we're able to get, inshallah, hopefully we'll be able to do that. Um, just a couple points, be uh, one or two points before we begin. The first is that we're running on the assumption here, which is a valid assumption, that every madhab has its evidences, 
Okay, every madhab has its evidences. And generally, the first text that one studies or the most basic level text that the person studies usually does not have those evidences because the idea is not for the person to become overwhelmed by why did they say this and why did they say that and so on and so forth. The idea is for the person to know something valid about how to purify themselves and how to pray. Conversations about what is their evidence, why does it mean this, so on and so forth, usually come later. As I mentioned last time, the book, um, the Sheikh Salah Abu Hajj, Hafidhullah, uh, put together, he actually does put the evidences in the bottom, but uh, they're to kind of like encourage people so that people know that there are evidences and so on and so forth. My point in saying this is that this is a very beginning course, right? It's not meant to be exhaustive. Um, it's not meant to deal with all of the very intricate possibilities and so on and so forth. It's meant to give us the basic knowledge of what we need to know in order to purify ourselves properly, in order to pray properly, in order to fast properly, and so on. And, uh, you know, issues that are more complicated will probably be dealt with in other texts. Um, so we'll leave it at that for now. Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Qala al-Musannifu rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafanallahu yahu bi'ulumihi fiddarayn. Ameen. Kitabu tahara Kitabu tahara Kitabu tahara is the book of purification. So, you know, uh, what is the obligation that repeats itself most often upon the Muslim from the major obligations of the religion? in terms of actions, is prayer. And in order to pray, we have to know what we need to do in order to be ready to pray, which is purification. So the section on tahara generally will cover uh, two types of purification. And this will, this will come up here. So there's the, there's the general idea of tahara, of purification. It splits into two sides. One side is the physical purification okay and the other side is the ritual purification we call it ritual and one side is physical so ritual purification for example would be making wudu how do you make wudu how do you not make wudu so on and so forth physical purification would be there's this object that's impure and it's landed on my shirt what do i need to do in order to solve that okay so these are two different branches it's very very common mistake that Muslims make in conflating these branches. So someone will come and they'll say, for example, um, I got I, blood is an impurity and I got some blood on my shirt. Do I need to remake my wudu? But blood on the shirt, blood on the shirt is a physical impurity. Making wudu is a ritual is a matter of ritual purity. So the physical impurity coming on your shirt doesn't break your wudu. Same thing with like a dog's saliva. If a dog licks you, it doesn't break your wudu, so on and so forth. Um, bleeding, on the other hand, is from the things that breaks wudu, which will come later. But the blood being on the shirt is different than the act of physically bleeding. Okay? So we have a physical impurity or a physical purification, and we have ritual purification. Ritual purification will deal 
with questions of wudu and questions of ghusl and by extension questions of tayammum which we'll get to all of them okay so wudu is like the basic water purification ghusl is the uh, full shower bigger water for purification and tayammum is the thing that we do with dirt or what is considered in the same category as dirt uh, in the case of the absence of water or uh, an inca incapability of using water for some reason. Uh, we're going to come to these in more detail. So, but, but, you know, if a dog licks you, the, the, the impurity of the saliva of the dog is a physical impurity that you have to remove from whatever was licked, either your hand or your body or your clothes or whatever it might be. That's, that's a different question than the question of what breaks your wudu and doesn't break your wudu. Wudu is a ritual matter. It has its own things that break it. And then there's things that are just physically impure. You can't have them on you, but they don't break your wudu uh, in and of themselves. Okay. So uh, one of the things to know about the fiqh books, uh, especially, you know, ones that are shorter, actually, it's pretty much true, is that they are very particular in their usage of language. So it's going to list the things that break wudu. Those are all the things that break wudu. So you don't have to ask, like, what if this happens? Does it break your wudu? All you have to ask yourself is, is it listed in the things that break wudu? If it's not, it doesn't break your wudu. Okay. So, um, although there are deeper, like maybe uh, more complicated questions that could come up and stuff, this is giving you the, the basic uh, foundation. Okay, so let's begin with wudu. He starts off by saying, That the pillars, the, the, the pillars, so to speak, of wudu, minor ritual purification are four are four a rukun a rukun a pillar especially when we're talking about purification when we're talking about prayer is something that is part of what we're doing and without it whatever it is that we're doing is now invalid so in this case we're talking about wudu so this wudu it has four arkan, it has four pillars. If any of these are missing, the wudu is invalid. If any of these are missing, the wudu is invalid, which is not the same as what's going to come next, which is the sunan, the sunan, or the recommended actions of wudu. So what are the four foundational acts of wudu according to the Hanafi school? Number one, ghaslun wedge, ghaslun wedge, which is to wash the face. So the face is from the hairline, or if someone's bald or whatever, like whatever the hairline would have been, up to the edges of the ears, and you know where the ear begins, and then goes down along the jawline until the point where the jawline meets the you know the chin, where you know basically you can feel your jawline. The wedge is that which you face something with. So that's your face. It's actually the same in English as it is in Arabic. It's what you face things with is your face. Uh, the thing that you face with is your wedge, is your face. So first, requirement of wudu. 
first absolute requirement of wudu is that you wash your face. Notice that numbers are not mentioned here. It's just the pure act of washing the face. Number two thing that is required is to wash the hands up to and including the elbows. So what we're talking about here is from the tip of the finger up to and including the elbow, up to and including the elbow. So all of this have to be washed. Absolute minimum is once. Same thing with the face. Absolute minimum is once. All of it has to be washed once. Okay, that's number two. Number three is to wipe a fourth of the head. It's about the size of your hand. About the four, a fourth of your head. It's about the size of the hand. Okay, to wipe a fourth of the head. Does it have to be uh, the front of the head? It does not have to be the front of the head. It can be the back of the head. This is valuable for, uh, especially for like maybe sisters who are trying to make wudu and they don't want to take their hijab off. You could reach under the hijab and wipe, not like the hair that's hanging down, but like the actual uh, part of the hair that's on the head. Not the hair that's hanging uh, in it, as an extension of that, but the part of the hair that's on the head. You can wipe one fourth, you know, and but again, about the size of your hand. And that would fulfill the basic minimum in the Hanafi school. All of the, many, not all of them, many of these issues, there are different opinions in other schools. So because the wipe, washing the face, there's no other opinion. Up to the, the hands, including the elbows, it's pretty much, I mean, more or less the, the opinion. Uh, wiping a fourth of the head, there's significant difference of opinion on. Some of the scholars said you have to wash actually wipe actually your whole head. Some of them said that you have to only wipe a portion of one hair. So they go across the board, and then it relates to how do we interpret the verse. But again, this is not uh, the the place for that. Um, when it comes to washing the face and washing the arms. Uh, maybe I'll say the fourth one first. The fourth one is to wash the feet up to and including the ankle. So when we do the hand, we do from the fingertip up to and including the elbow. When we do the feet from the tip of our toes up to and including the ankle, right? Where the point at which there's that, the, the part that sticks out on the sides up to and including that, okay? Up to and including that. So it has to be above that. Um, uh then okay then uh so all of those so those three limbs are being washed or three three areas are being washed the face the hands and the arm up to the elbow and the foot including the ankle and the head is being wiped so what does it mean to wash what does it mean to wipe what it means to wash is to Take an amount of water to that limb such that when you put the water on that limb, there's an amount there where at least a drop or two could fall from it. That's what it means to wash. Maybe you catch the drop. It's, it's about the potentiality. There's enough water there that the limb could drip one or two drops at the minimum. Okay. That's what it means to wash. Uh, why does this matter? Because it doesn't mean you don't have to like put the sink over your arm. The Prophet would make wudu with a very small amount of water, actually. So you have this amount of water, 
If the amount of water that you're washing your arm with is such that one or two drops would come from it, then that counts as washing. Okay. When we're so, but you're taking some water, right? You're you're transferring some water in that sense. When you wipe, uh, your hand is wet from water, but you're not actually like holding water. See what I'm saying? And then you just run it across the limb. In this case, the head. Um. When we wipe, we're, it's going to come later that the, the recommended act of, of wudu is to do three times for the things that get washed. But when you for the thing that gets wiped, you only do it once. And they say that if you wipe three times, now it's as if you washed it because you, you, you did so much. So it's not a wipe anymore. Now it became a wash. So again, the four foundations of wudu. If you did nothing else, all you did was wash your face once and uh, wash your fingertips to your elbows, including the elbows once, and wipe a fourth of your head, and wash the, from the tip of the toes up to and including the ankle once on each foot, this would be absolute bare minimum will do. Why does that matter? Not necessarily because that's what you should be doing, but that matters because uh, sometimes you don't have much water. Maybe you're camping, maybe you're in the desert, maybe the water went out, whatever it might be. So you don't want to use uh, a really large amount of water. You want to use the basic minimum that you can. And so you take that amount and you, uh, you just do the basic minimum, right? Normally, we shouldn't suffice by only doing this. We should not suffice by only doing this because that's not what the Prophet them did, right? He didn't do that. That wasn't his practice. Um, where do we get this as the absolute foundation in the Hanafi school? We get this from the verse, because these are the four things that are mentioned in the verse about wudu. Um, uh, so, you know, so so we said the absolute foundation is these four because of that. That's why the Hanafi said this. Whereas the other things are sunnas. They are highly recommended things to do because that's what the Prophet regularly did. Okay, so now what are the sunan? Wasunanuhu. Wasunan wasunanuhu. What are the recommended, highly recommended acts of wudu? Number one. This one is sometimes surprising for people. Because you, you're gonna notice if you look at the four, did you notice a number of things? That there is no intention. The intention wasn't one of the things that's required. The other thing that people often are surprised about is that order is not required actually and continuity is not required continuity is not required so say for example someone's like uh in a in a bathroom and they're like they do everything but they didn't do their feet yet because they're like i don't want to do my feet in the bathroom and they go out and they like sit somewhere and they get some water and they wash their feet and it's like five minutes later theoretically Theoretically speaking, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, an hour later, because it's, it's not a condition. They could wash their feet and it would at, at that point when they wash their feet, then it would become complete. Right. So none of those things are mentioned here. So this is what I'm saying. The language is very important to pay attention to and to think about the consequences of it. The only four things that are required for the wudu to be valid are these four things, these four things. 
wash the face, wash the hands up to from the fingertip. Hand means in, in this context, fingertip up to and including the elbow. Because yed in Arabic doesn't just mean hand. It can also mean actually the arm all the way up to the shoulder. But then the practice of the Prophet was up to and including the elbow. So then we understood that that's what's meant by yed in the verse. That's what's meant by hand in the verse or yed, the word yed. So you wash all of that. What if you have a ring? The question basically comes down to everything that's there has to be washed. So if that ring is going to prevent water from reaching the skin that is under the ring, then it must be removed. If the ring is loose and it doesn't actually stop the water from reaching underneath it, then you can kind of wiggle it if you want, or you can do whatever you need to do, but the water has to come underneath. Common question here that comes up is about nail polish. The water has to reach the fingernail. Otherwise, the wudu is not sound. What about this nail polish? What about that nail polish? So on and so forth. That's for you to figure out. The rule is the water has to reach and has to uh, reach and wash the fingernail. It has to wash the fingernail. The fingernail has to be washed. Okay. Everything in the body, anything that has to be washed has to be washed. On the face, if you have, I don't know, someone has like uh, something on their face that's blocking the water from touching it. Everything that has to be washed has to be washed. Uh, wiping forth of the head and washing the feet. Questions around um, socks and stuff should come later, I think. Uh, actually, I don't know if he mentions it here. So maybe I should just mention it here. Oh, uh, well, maybe not. Maybe when we come to the end. Let me make a note in the book of where Let me put it here. We'll do it here. What's that? And then fourth. One job. We'll come to that when we get to it, inshallah. So these are the four minimums. These are the four minimums. Four absolute basic requirements of wudu. So when we come to those things that are recommended in wudu, the first thing that's recommended, highly recommended, sunnah, highly recommended, sunnah, and wudu is a niya, a niya, which is intention. So I'm washing all of these things in order to do ritual purity so that I can pray and I can be in a state of ritual purity and so on and so forth. That is in the heart to intend in the heart to uh, be making wudu. Okay. Number two, highly recommended thing is a tasmiya. Tasmiya, which is to say Bismillah, to say Bismillah, or to say Bismillah and Rahman and Rahim, but Bismillah, um, you know, to say that when we go to make wudu. If you're going to go into a bathroom or something, maybe you can say it before you enter. Just say Bismillah. Um, washing the hands up to the wrist three times. So now we're now. When we talk about the foundational pillars, they're their own thing, right? Now we're going into the other things and it's going to go in order. So the first thing that a person does, they make niya. 
They say Bismillah. They wash their hands up to the wrist. So basically, they wash their hands. They wash their what we call hand, hand, just to make sure that the hands are clean before those hands are being used as the tool for everything else, right? Then the next thing that they would do is they would use miswak. Next recommended thing to do is to use miswak. In the Hanafi school, the miswak is used at the time of wudu. It's used at the time of wudu. Uh, it's not that it's haram or something to do otherwise, but like the books don't talk. They, they say you do it when, when you go to make wudu, that's when you use the miswak. You don't do it in like the prayer line. You don't do it in the supermarket. You don't do it in all these other places. You do it when you go to make wudu. You do it then, and then you wash your mouth. This is the next recommended thing. You wash the mouth. And then after that, you wash the nose. So we put water in the mouth, move it around, spit it out, put water in the nose. And like, you know, you want to get it in the soft part. The soft part, the hard part is, you know, another thing, but you want to get it, get the water there and spit it out. I mean, uh, blow it out. Next recommended thing to do is to do takhlil and nihya. So if the person has a thicker beard, to run their fingers through their beard run their fingers through their beard after you know they wash their face after they wash their face they run their fingers through their beard and between their fingers themselves this is takhlil al-asabi' is to do this with the finger like to takhlil is to put things together you know it's actually the word khalil like when we say ibrahim alayhi salam is khalil al-rahman he's the beloved khalil is someone's close friend why is someone your close friend because you're like almost intermeshed with them, right? So takhlil is to intermesh the fingers when you're when we're washing them. And then the next recommended thing is to do ghasl, which is to all of the things that get washed to do them three times. To do them three times. Um again, one time is the required. Say so one time is the required. Second time is to remove this is just a wisdom they say in some of the books they say the first time is to fulfill the requirement the second time is to uh, take away any doubt that the person has you know did i do it or not that did I, did I, like maybe they're worried that they missed a spot if you wash twice you're not really worried that you missed a spot you wash you wash twice and and the third time is to fulfill the sunnah to fill the way of the prophet send them The next thing, number 10, actually, I didn't give the numbers on all these. Uh, number 10 is to, maybe I should go back and give you the numbers. Number one is to have niyyah, intention. Number two is to say bismillah. Number three is to wash the hands uh, before beginning. Number four is to use miswak, the tooth, the tooth stick, tooth stick. Number five, or you could use a toothbrush. It's okay. Number five is to wash the mouth. Number six is to wash the nose. Number seven is to run the fingers uh, in the beard. And number eight is to run the fingers amongst themselves. Number nine is to wash everything that is washed three times. To wash everything that is washed three times. All of these, again, have their evidences. Number 10 thing is to wipe the entirety of the head. To wipe the entirety of the head. Wipe the entirety of the head. 
Number 11 is to wipe also the ears. Uh, in the Hanafi school, we wipe the ears with the same wipe as the head. So, you know, a person puts, their, puts some water on their hands, they wipe their head. After they wipe their head, they go to their ears and they wipe their ear, wipe their ears, okay? Just once. Same water as the wipe of the head. Uh, in the Shafiri school, for example, person would take new water. They, they wipe the head, then they get water again, then they wipe their ears. So, but in the Hanafi school, we use the same, it's, it's the same wipe, we use it at the same time. Number 12, uh, recommend, highly recommended thing, is a tartib, a tartib, which is to follow the proper order. Just follow the order that is in the Quran, which is to wash the face first. Uh, if you include the, you do the mouth, you do the nose, you do the face, then you do the arms and the hand. Then you do the head, then you do the feet. The head and the ears, and then you do the feet. Number 13, highly recommended thing is al-muwala. Al-muwala al -muwala is to be uh, continuous in the act of wudu. In the act of wudu. So once I start, I carry it through to its completion. Again, this is recommended. Highly recommended, highly recommended. Don't leave it for no reason. Um, but it is to follow through to the end. Follow through to the end. Sometimes I say, what is the... Um, like, what is the way that we know that that has been lost? Right? Like, is it an amount of time? Is it this? Is it that? They say that if one was to break between the different acts of wudu such that the last thing that they did dried out then that would be breaking continuity that would be breaking continuity again uh if they did that it would still be valid like i don't know maybe you wash your face you you want um wash your arms and then your mom calls you so you would need to go you check see what's going on by the time you finish helping her with whatever she needed your arms actually dry, you could actually come back and wipe your head and wash your feet. You don't have to start over again. If you start over again, it's better because now you will complete all of the sunnas of wudu as well as the obligation. But technically speaking, you could you could just pick up from there. But really, you shouldn't. I mean, like it's not that big of a deal unless there's again again th these kind of things. Sometimes there's cases where it can become relevant. But most of the time we should try to do our wudu properly and fully and do everything with all of its sunnahs and everything else and to make it as good as we possibly can. Because of course we know that there's spiritual benefits to these things as well as the requirements of, um, of just doing whatever we're doing, right? Um, and number 14 is adelk. Adelk, adelk is to... Uh, Kind of like uh, rub the arm at the same time that you're washing it. So you put the water there and you kind of like, you know, like rub, rub it as you're washing it type thing. You know, wash it. Wash it. Um, rub it, rub it. Rather than just letting the water 
because you could just put the arm under the water, right? And in which case the water would have covered the whole arm and it would count as a wash. But to rub your other hand with it is to do dunk, to do dunk. All right, so these are the 14 sunnas of wudu that are mentioned here. Uh, and some of the Hanafi books, they also mention people, maybe I've seen the wiping of one's neck. Some of the books, they mention that. So you wipe your ears and then you would wipe the neck. But he doesn't mention that here. And some of the books don't mention it either. So, no, Madish, it's okay. Um, so that's how we make wudu. That's how we make wudu. Okay. So now, uh, first, you know, as a, on, on a different kind of point, the it's good to try to stay in wudu. It's good to try to stay in wudu. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that wudu is the weapon of the believer. It's a means of protection uh, for us in our day. It has a kind of spiritual strength to it. So that's, there's, there's a spiritual benefit to um, to that whole thing. Okay, so it's good to stay in a state of wudu. And then whenever we need to pray, we're ready to pray. All right. All right. So now we know what's absolutely required to make wudu. And we also know how to properly make wudu. Alhamdulillah, it's a great thing. The next question would be, what breaks my wudu? So what are the things that if I do them, they mean that I have to redo my wudu? What are those things? Okay. So uh, these we have to kind of pay attention. We have to pay attention. Number one thing that breaks our wudu is Anything exiting the body from one of the two private parts. That which exits the body from one of the two private parts. Okay. This is the first thing. So there's no haya in this stuff. So there's going to be some stuff here that comes up that is a little bit awkward. But we have to talk about it. Alhamdulillah, it's easier to do it on Zoom than it is to do it in person. But, um, uh, you know, we have to mention them. So the first thing is anything that exits from the two private parts. So if one urinates, that would break their wudu. If one uh, defecates, that would break their wudu. If someone passes gas, that would break their wudu because this air has exited the body through one of the private parts. Okay. Uh, so anything leaving from the private parts front and back, breaks the wudu. <clears throat> um, at least, at least. Certain things uh, will also require ghusl, but that will come in the section on ghusl. So for now, anything that exits the two private parts is um, breaks the wudu, okay? Number two is Sayalanu Najisin Najasin Min Gairihima. Sayalanu Najisin Min Gairihima, which is the um, flowing of an impurity from other than those other than the two private parts. Okay. So we have anything that exits the private parts breaks will do. 
what if it exits something else in the body? What if something, some other place in the body, something exits from it? Does it break your wudu or not? There's two issues. Number one is, is it impure? Is it impure? Number two is, which is going to come in the section on cleaning physical impurities. Okay. So we're talking about things like blood, um, vomit, uh, other like urine, all these things. It's possible for urine to come out of other than your private parts if there's some sort of medical condition, whatever is going on. Usually, though, like the most common thing here is blood. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the rule here is that it has to be something that's impure and that it has to have the strength of flowing, the strength of flowing. So, for example, <clears throat> usually they just say say and then flowing. But what that means is, so if you get a, if you get a cut and the cut is going to bleed and it will run if you leave it alone, but you cover it. Because you covered it, it doesn't flow. Does it still break your wudu? It still breaks your wudu if it would have flowed had you not covered it. If it would have flowed had you not covered it, then it still breaks your wudu. Okay. However, if you get like one of these scrapes where like some red kind of comes to the surface, but it doesn't actually drip and flow, if it doesn't drip and flow, it doesn't break your wudu. Okay, so this is uh, the next one. Of course, all many, many, not all of them, many of these things, there's different opinions in the other schools. So you may have heard something else. We're talking only about the Hanifi school here. And again, the idea is how do I know something that I, this is just for my personal practice. It's not for me to go like tell other people what to do. Whenever we learn, we learn first on a medhub so that I know that my personal practice is sound. It's not for me to go talk to other people about it. If I want to go talk to other people about what they should or shouldn't do, then I probably need to have more knowledge of what I should and shouldn't do, right? Not just one opinion. But here we're talking about the Hanafi school. So the capacity to bleed, if it's not stopped, it would bleed. That breaks one's wudu. Number three thing that breaks wudu is Vomiting so much so that it fills the mouth. What does this mean? Vomiting so much so that it fills the mouth. What does it mean? It means that enough vomit comes up that you can't hold it in. You know, sometimes maybe like a little bit of vomit comes up and someone might swallow it. Uh, that's, not, that's not so much that it breaks your wudu. What breaks it will do is enough that you can't keep it in. You have to let it out. Okay. Um, number four is this one. There's a lot of controversy on. All right. And a lot of maybe you, uh, even in the Hanafi school, there's a lot of controversy on the next one. Number four. So what are we, what, what is this talking about? Now we're asking sleep. What kind of sleep breaks wudu? What kind of sleep breaks wudu? So let me say first again that there is major difference in the medhib on this issue. 
So what is the question? The question is, what kind of sleep breaks you will do? First and foremost, if the person's backside, their bottom, is not flat on the ground or on a chair or something like that, any sleep where it's not flat automatically breaks the wudu. And sleep is something where you lose consciousness of what's happening around you. Okay, you lose consciousness of what's happening around you. So if the person is like laying on their side and they doze off a little bit, it breaks their sleep. If they are laying on their stomach and they doze off, it breaks their sleep. Um, even if they're kind of just like laying down, it breaks their sleep. But if they're sitting and their bottom is flat on whatever it is that they're sitting on and they fall asleep, then the question is here, what kind of sleep breaks your wudu? So uh, what's mentioned here, which is the, the, the more temed, the relied upon position, uh, is that if you're sitting in a way that the backside is firmly planted, it does not break your wudu, even if you're leaning on something. Even if you're leaning on something. So you could be sitting on a chair. You could be sitting on a chair like this. Sitting on my chair. Perfect, bottom is perfectly flat. And I just doze off. Doze off for a little bit. I wake up. As long as my backside was stayed flat and was flat and everything else, does not break my wudu. Does not break my wudu. Even if it's really long. Even if it's really long. You can probably think to yourself, where would this really matter? It would really matter on an airplane. Right? So you could sit on the airplane, make sure that you sit in a way that backside is, is, is firmly planted and sleep in that way. And when you wake up, you don't lose your wudu. Your wudu is still valid. Unless you find yourself like you're not firmly planted anymore, obviously. But if you sit on a side and like you're leaning halfway, one, one side of the backside is up, the other side is down, then that breaks your wudu. Okay. Now, I said, even if you're leaning on something, many of the books of the Medhab say that if you're leaning on something, if your backside is flat, but you're leaning on something that if it was taken away, you would fall, then your will do is broken. So if you were sitting on this chair and you were leaning back and you fell asleep, your will do would be broken. But if you were sitting on the ground, you're just like sitting maybe in cross-legged, backside is firmly planted, and you're like sitting like this maybe. You're not leaning on anything, then your wudu will not be broken. This brings up an interesting issue in the medhab, although, you know, it's just a side point if anyone's going to study more or something. Generally in the madhahib as a whole, they might use different words for it, but generally in the madhahib as a whole, there is what is referred to as the Mu'atamid opinion on any issue, which is the strong opinion on the issue that you have to follow and you give fatwa on and so on. In the Hanafi school, there is always, of course, the Mu'atamid. What's mentioned here is the Mu'atamid, that if you sit down and your bottom is flat, even if you're leaning on something, it doesn't break your wudu. That's the Mu'atamid of, of, of the school. However, in the school... I mean, the Hanifi Medhab exists, has existed for over 1,200 years, right? Actually, almost 1,300 years. So 
there's a lot in and, and all over the world, you know, in all different places, all different people, so on and so forth. Many books written, you know, by many people over hundreds of years. So there's some issues because of that. There's some issues in the Madhab where you have a Mu'atamid, you have the relied upon position. But you also have another position which can be referred to as Mu'atabr, Mu'atabr, which is like, it is considered, it is considered. And why would it be considered? Is because a lot of people actually considered it to be the strong opinion in the Madhab. So, for example, you might read, right now when we read this book, we read the opinion that we read. One of the very famous books in the Hanafi school is Mukhtasar and Quduri. Mukhtasar and Quduri. It's the short work of Quduri, short work of Quduri. In that book, it will say that if you're leaning on something, that if it was taken away, you would fall, it breaks your wudu. And many other mutun say that, many other books say that, so on and so forth. But in the end, after all this time, the Mu'atamid is this one, and the Mu'atabar, the uh, um, recognizable position, is the other one. And again, if you're going to study the Madhab more and stuff, the point is, both of these are acceptable to act upon. Both of these are acceptable to act upon. Whereas, you know, generally speaking, if there is more than one opinion in the Madhab, which there is on like almost everything, then uh, you can only act upon the one that is considered to be reliable. But in, hand, in, in some issues, there's a reliable position and there is a recognized position, the Mu'atabar. You can follow either one technically and someone could give fatwa for either one technically. Anyways, the point is, falling asleep without having the backside firmly planted would break one's wudu. Number five, for the online for the zoom people if you have questions feel free to put them in the box um, number five is is to lose consciousness junoon is to go insane and sukr is to be intoxicated is to be intoxicated what does this come to in the end? When you sleep, and uh, when we fall asleep, there's a in our in our backside is not firmly planted. Then there's a level of rest that happens from that that makes it so that it's likely that we pass gas or something and we don't know it, and that would obviously break our wudu. And this passing out, going insane, like completely losing the ability to uh, realize what's happening and and process it and so on or being intoxicated, all of these are even more than sleep. So if sleep breaks sleep breaks a wudu under most cases, then so would all of these things. Number six is which is for the person who is in prayer to laugh out loud person who's in prayer to laugh out loud of course laughing out loud would break your salat right so you're in salat laughing out loud would break your salat which we'll come to in a little bit it would break your salat um 
However, in the Hanafi school, laughing out loud in Salat, not only does it break your Salat, it also breaks your wudu. Also breaks your wudu. And there's a hadith about this. What does it mean to laugh out loud? To laugh out loud. To laugh out loud is to laugh such that someone next to you would hear you. Laugh out loud is to laugh such that someone next to you would hear you. If you kind of smile, it doesn't break your wudu. If you laugh and like it's so quiet, that like you barely heard it, someone next to you wouldn't hear it, that's not qaha. It's not laughing out loud. Okay. The hadith actually is a it's an interesting hadith about this one. Um, it's that they were praying. And a, ma- a man who couldn't see was coming to the prayer and there was a hole and he fell in the hole and he tripped. And when that happened, some of the people who were praying laughed at him. They laughed, not necessarily at him, but they laughed. And the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to not only repeat their salat, but to repeat their wudu as well. Uh, of course, you know, people say this hadith is weak, so on and so forth. That's a whole different conversation. About weak hadith, strong hadith, what does that mean? Who determines it? Why are things used in each madhab? So on and so forth. It's a huge conversation. Not the topic here. But the point is, to laugh out loud in salat breaks. What are we talking about right now? Breaks your wudu. Not just your salat, it breaks your wudu. Of course, if it breaks your wudu, it also breaks your salat, right? So laughing breaks your salat. And laughing out loud breaks your salat and it breaks your wudu but also it breaks your wudu and it breaks your salat if you think about it either way right because you have to have wudu for salat and number seven is what's called mubashara fahisha mubashara fahisha again i said there's no sometimes we have to bet you things that are a little bit sensitive and that uh mubashara fahisha is when a man and woman are intimate with one another such that they don't have any clothes on and their bodies are close to one another and uh, the man is aroused, but there's no penetration. So, you know, when we come to the full body wash, the penetration issue will come up. But so they're, they're being... Uh, very intimate, but not at the level of penetration, then this would uh, break the wudu. This would break the wudu. So these are the things that break wudu. Anything leaving from the two private parts, a impurity exiting from the body and flowing, vomiting to such that one cannot hold it in, sleeping in a way that the backside is not firmly planted, um, losing consciousness, going insane, being intoxicated, laughing out loud in prayer such that the person next to you could hear you, and having this level of intimacy that falls just short of actual um, uh, actual marital relations, let's say. Okay. Um, these are the things that break one's wudu, and then we would need to remake our wudu in order to pray. There's something that's not mentioned in this book that I kind of hinted at earlier. Um, 
and that are that are issue that is issues related to the hoof or the sock hoof and sock okay so he said the basic foundation of wudu is to wash the foot wash the foot in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there was this thing called the hoof hoof k h u f f or khaf fa khuf the khuf is like uh, you've probably seen it it's like a leather sock it's a little bit thicker you put it over your foot um and you know it it has some strength to it it has some standing to it you could walk on it it won't rip if you washed it it's not the water is not going to go through if you wipe it i mean the the water is not going to go through and so on it's established in the Sunnah of the Prophet that they used to wipe on this in the place of washing the foot. So we have to talk about this first before we get to socks. Um, there are some conditions for this. There are some conditions. The basic condition is that the person wears the khuf when they are already in a state of full ritual purification. So Either they make wudu, they make husun, whatever it might be, but they in, they are fully purified, and then in that state, before they have lost their wudu or broken their wudu, they put this khufan. Now, assuming that is the case, the person who is not traveling has 24 hours from the time that they lose their wudu that they can wipe on the top of that instead of instead of washing so imagine this is your hoof this is so weird i'm sorry imagine this is your hoof it's your foot right and the foot is the hoof is on it and the hoof has to go above the ankle has to cover what you would normally wash so it covers all of what you would normally wash and it meets all those things that i mentioned you don't wipe on the bottom you wipe on the top Wipe on the top. Minimum amount of the four fingers. You wipe on the top. Just once. Just once wipe on the top. If 24 hours passes from the time that the person first loses their wudu, if the khuf is, if either of the khuf is removed, meaning it falls below the amount of the foot that would need to be washed, so it falls below the ankle, that counts as being removed. Even if it doesn't, you don't take it completely off, it falls below the ankle. That counts as being removed. If any of those things happen, or if the person needs ghusl, then they have to go back, they have to wash. Okay, so they have to wash the actual foot. They do the full purification, they wash the actual foot, they can put the khuf on again. Technically speaking, in the Hanafi school, you make wudu, you put the khuf on. You, anytime you lose your wudu after that, you wipe the khuf, you wipe the khuf. 24 hours passes. Now you have to wash your foot, right? You could actually take off the khuf, wash only your foot, and put the khuf back. Why? Because the continuity is not required. If if you didn't uh, like you had wudu uh, and you 
on the hoof and it, it broke because of that, you could just wash the foot. And you put the hoof back on. Probably shouldn't do that, but uh, theoretically you could because you've washed everything, right? And now the 24 hours passes and uh, you only have to take it off because the 24 hours passed, not because you did something else. So you can take it off. Everything else has already been washed, but now the foot is not considered washed because the 24 hours passed. When you wash the foot, and you can put it on again. Now you're in a full state of uh, purity again. So this is the chuf. There's agreement on the chuf. There's no disagreement here, no issues here. Again, it's like a leather foot gear. You can call it a leather, leather foot gear. The sock is uh, the same rules of like wearing it, it being above the ankle, so on and so forth. It applies, it would apply in the same way. The issue with the sock is, and here you're going to find like a lot of differences because the question basically comes down to, does it fulfill the conditions or not? What are the conditions that the chuf fulfills? The chuf fulfills three, four major conditions. Number one, that a person could walk on it for a significant distance. I forget what the distance is, um, but it's a significant distance. They could walk for a significant distance in it without it tearing, okay? Number two condition is that it is not see-through. Number three condition is when you wipe it, the water from your hand is not felt on your foot. It doesn't go through to your foot. And number four condition is that it holds itself up. Like it stays on its own accord above your ankle, okay? Now the question is, the sock that I'm wearing, does it fulfill those conditions or not? And so you'll find that uh, Hanafi scholars will give different fatawa on this issue based on their assessment of um, whether or not the sock meets those conditions, okay? Based on their assessment of whether or not the sock meets those conditions. Um, so, some of them will say, all of them will say that like a really thin dress sock is not going to cut it. It's really thin. You can kind of see through it. If you wipe it, the water is going all the way through. Like there's no, there's no holding back on that water. Some will say that if you have a thicker sock, maybe like a hiking sock, a trekking sock, a sock even that's just like kind of like a thicker athletic sock maybe, the question is, does it go through or not? So if I wipe with my hand, my hand's like a little bit wet, not like dripping, soaking. I'm not like taking, it's a wipe, it's not a wash. So when we wipe, we have water on our hands, but we're not transferring a huge amount of water. We have water on our hands and we wipe it. Does it go through or not? That's the big one actually. Um, because walking, we can usually walk and it's gonna hold itself up. It's gonna be above the ankle. It has to be above the ankle. I see a lot of young people kind of like wearing these ankle socks that are below the ankle and then wiping on them without any consideration. Does not pass in the Hanafi school does not pass in the Hanbali school. The other, none, the other two schools don't allow socks anyways. There's no opinion in the other two schools that allow socks anyways. 
So, um, you know, this is an important issue. We should be careful with it. Some people will give a very loose fatwa on wiping on socks, and they base that on the position of like Ibn Taymiyyah, basically. Um, but in the madhabs, they, they, they would take issue with that. Okay. So that's for the khuf and for the sock. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Oh man, we're not even going to finish Tahara. And I'm trying to not go too slow. SubhanAllah. Oof. I don't know how this is going to happen. Okay. Bismillah. Ghusl. Ghusl. The ghusl is the full body wash. Just to wash the entire body. Everything that water can reach in the body without excessive um, effort. You know, like you don't have to wash underneath your eyelid or something. They actually mentioned that in the books and just make that up. You don't have to wash underneath your eyelid. You don't have to do this. You know, just what normally would be there, you would wash, you wash. Okay, so what are the obligations, the arkan again, furud? In this case, usually they use furud. What are the obligations of ghusl? What are the things that are absolutely necessary for the ghusl to be valid? Number one, washing the mouth. Washing the mouth. Water goes in the mouth, water comes out. Number two, washing the nose. Washing the nose. Number three is to wash the entire body. So mouth, nose, entire body. Someone might say, I went into the shower, I wanted to make wholesome. Technically, Nia is not mentioned here, right? Intention is not mentioned here. But in any case, they went into the shower. They wanted to make ghusl. They got out of the shower. They realized, you know what? I didn't put water in my mouth and my nose. Actually, let's make it a little bit more interesting. They get out of the shower. They dry off. Everything's good. They put their clothes on. And then they're like, oh, man, I didn't wash my nose. I didn't wash my mouth. And those are required parts of ghusl in the Hanafi school. Required parts of ghusl in the Hanafi school. What do they do? What do they do? They go to the sink. They wash their mouth. They wash their nose. Because continuity is not required. Right? Continuity is not required. It's not here amongst the requirements. Only these three. Wash the mouth. Wash the nose. Wash the whole body. So you wash the whole body. You dry off. You put on your clothes. You're about to go out the door. And you feel like, okay, I have my tahara for the day. And then you're like, oh, no, I don't have tahara. Wash the mouth, wash the nose. What if they pass gas? Then they would have to do the whole thing over again. If they did something that before they wash their mouth and their nose, if they pass gas, it breaks. It's going to come the things that break it, but um, uh, well. Listen, hold on a second. Let me think about this for a second. I believe they would need to make the whole thing over again. Because they didn't actually attain... So assuming, assuming... Assuming they had to make ghusl. Okay, so we're assuming now they had to make ghusl. Not that they didn't have any reason to make ghusl, 
they just got in the shower they were trying to purify themselves for the day but really what they needed to do was wudu that's different right then they could just make wudu but assuming they did something which is going to come that would require them to make ghusl and they went in the shower to make ghusl and they washed their whole body but they didn't wash their mouth and their nose and they broke their and then they passed gas then they would have to wash their whole body uh, over again because they didn't attain the purification the purification would have been accomplished by washing the whole body washing the mouth washing the nose then they'd be in a state of purity if they passed gas after that they would just make wudu right they wouldn't make wudu but they never got out of what was needed in order to be purified Yes, I believe that's so. So these are the three required things. For Gosal, there are five things that are highly recommended, five sunnas, five highly recommended things, five sunnas. Number one is to wash the hands, wash hands. Number two is to wash the private parts. Wash the private parts. Uh, number three is to remove any impurity from the body that might not be on the private parts. Okay, so maybe the person had intimate relations, and in the course of their intimate relations, they got not only some impurity on their private parts, but also on some other part of their body. So they and they would do the, the sunnahs would be to wash their hands first, to wash their private parts, and then wash the impurity off of any other part of their body. That's number three. Number four, then, would be to make wudu. To make wudu. To make wudu is number four. And number five is to let water cover the entirety of the body three times. Let water cover the entirety of the body three times. There's a question here about hair. Uh, especially for women, hair is part of wudu. It's part of the entire body. I mean, part of ghusl. Washing, wetting all of, wetting the hair is part of ghusl. Hard with curly hair. Yeah. Uh, what about for hair? Like, does every hair need to be drenched hard with curly hair? Um, washing. Wilson is washing. Some of the washing or wiping. Wilson is washing. What's required in Wilson is washing, not wiping. Um, but the main thing is the hair that's on the head, right? There's two parts to the hair. The part, one part is the hair that's on the head. The rest of it is the hair that hangs from the head. Um, for the hair that's on the head, we need to wash it properly. We want the water to reach the roots of the head, so on and so forth. The rest of it, you can, you know, wash it, do your best if there's like, I mean, if you are in a shower and you put water on your hair, 
and somehow like i don't know one hair ends up not washed you're probably okay but water definitely needs to reach the part that's in your head um and it should reach all of your hair unless there's some reason like something else that's going on Um, some of the books do mention like someone who has their hair braided for example they have long hair maybe and they have it braided a woman and it's and it's like really long or whatever they'll mention that the water has to reach the roots of the hair on the on the head and for the rest of it they kind of can just run water over it um it doesn't have to be like a, a really heavy wash. It's almost like a wipe in that sense. Um, it's not mentioned here. So it's a little bit harder to review right now. But other than that, they don't make an exception for this, that everything needs to be washed. Yeah, what's required for the woman in that case, if she has this like braid, is to wash the sula shot. So the parts that are connected to the head to make sure that they're all washed and right and everything else. And the rest of it, they don't have to like undo their braid. Um, Allahu alam. So those are the sunan acts of ghusl. Those are the sunan acts of ghusl. Then he mentions the things that cause ghusl to be required. Then he mentions the things that cause ghusl to be required. Number one, inzalul many, many bishahwa. Inzalul many bishahwa, which basically means to ejaculate uh, or to have semen come out. Uh, in a state of arousal, like in desire. They say in some of the books, for example, that maybe someone, uh, like some semen exits from their body because of some other reason. Maybe it's really cold or like they mentioned different things. Um, if it doesn't come out in this way with, with desire, out of desire, then it doesn't require ghusl. It would require wudu, right? It would require removing the impurity and making wudu because something has exited from the private parts, but not ghusl. So to, uh, for semen to leave the body in a state of desire, with, with desire involved in it. Shahwa. Um, number two is, وَإِلَاجُ حَشَفَةٍ فِي قُبَلٍ أَوْ دُبُرٍ Hashafatin, Fiqubalin, Dubur. 
And uh, so number two is for, uh, you know, forgive me, there's no other way to say this, for, uh, for the head of the penis to enter the private parts, the front or back private parts, uh, you know, the front of a woman or the back of a man or a woman. Know in fiqh that just because something is mentioned in this way doesn't mean that it's allowed. Obviously, we know from the fiqh that anal intercourse is not allowed. Okay. But if someone did do that and the head of the penis went in that far, then ghusl uh, will be required whether or not there is any ejaculation, whether or not there's any ejaculation. Number three. Number three is if someone wakes up from their sleep and they find a, a seminal discharge. Someone wakes up from their sleep and they find a seminal discharge. Uh, they distinguish in the books between many and medhi. I don't know what these are in English, but I, I know what many is. But many is uh, is semen. Medhi is they say it's a discharge that comes out uh, as a result of arousal, but it's not semen. So it's like a I don't know pre-seminal discharge or maybe something like that. But the point is the person wakes up and they find one of these things on themselves or on their clothes or whatever, in which case they would need to make wusl. What that means is if they wake up and they know they, they woke up, they wake up, they had an erotic dream. Okay. They wake up, they had an erotic dream, and they don't find any any discharge, any anything there. They do not have to make wusl. They okay, they do not have to make wusl. They wake up, they had an erotic dream, and they find discharge. They do have to make ghusl. They wake up, they have no recollection of an erotic dream, but they find discharge. They do have to make ghusl. Okay, they do have to make ghusl. Number four uh, cause for this would be the end of uh, a woman's monthly cycle. Or the end of her of her post birth bleeding. I forget the word right now. Nifas is the bleeding that happens after uh, delivery. In the Hanafi school, the the furthest amount for that is forty days. So it could be anywhere from a moment, a day, all the way to forty days. Once that ends, then the woman would make ghusl and she would. Go back to doing her prayers and her fast and whatever else it may be. So those are the four things that require ghusl to be made. And uh, ghusl is recommended. So those are required ghusl. Ghusl is recommended for Jumu'ah, Al-Eidain, Wal-Ihram, Wa'arafah. It's recommended for Jumu'ah. It's recommended for Eid prayers. It's recommended for when we put ihram on, when we're in hajj or when we're in umrah, to do ghusl before that. 
and it's recommended for before the day of Arafah, before the day of Arafah, which is in the rites of Hajj, which we'll come to when we come to, inshallah. So these are all recommended Juma, uh, recommended Rusuls. You can notice from all of these that these are things that are kind of related to kind of like either you could say special times or times when a lot of people will be in close proximity to each other. So if you have another case where that's going to be the case, um, it's probably also good to make also for being part of that. So that is Alhamdulillah, Wudu and Ghusl. Wudu and Ghusl. Which raises a question, which he's going to address now. Raises the question of what kind of water can be used to do all these kind of things, to do all these things, right? So these are all acts of purification. What water can be used for these acts of purification? Like, is it just any water? Is it a water that's, does tea count? Because like, you know, tea is just water with some tea in it. Uh, does juice count? Does whatever else it might be, right? So all of these things then. As the question is, what kind of water can be used in order to uh, do these purifications? What kind of water can be used to do these purifications? Um, sorry, I'm looking for something in there. Uh, and the other book he has two books that are very similar so um, all right we'll see if we even make it there today so what is the water that can be used well you say at-tathir I think that's the entirety of the section. Uh, okay. So which waters can be used? This will be the last thing we cover today. And inshallah, next time, uh, hopefully we'll be able to finish. We'll see. If not, then we'll have to add a session. So what is water that can be used? Purification is acceptable, is sound through what they call, or with what they call ma mutlaq, ma mutlaq, which is basically water which has retained its original attributes, its original qualities and attributes. Water, generally speaking, is clear. It doesn't have really a particular taste doesn't really have a smell, doesn't really have a color, and it flows, okay? It flows. It doesn't have a taste, doesn't have a color, doesn't have a smell, and it flows. Um, if the water is like that, then you can make wudu with it. 
even if it has changed as a result of sitting. Okay, so maybe the water was like in a bowl and it sat for a few days and the color started to change slightly, but it didn't change from anything except sitting. Like it's not that a cat came and peed in it or something. It's just, it was sitting there, the water changed from sitting there. It got stagnant a little bit. It changed from just sitting there. It's still valid to use, okay? However, if it has changed as a result of an impurity coming into it, then that's different, okay? So there's two categories of water. Sorry, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, how am I going to do this in the time? There's two categories of water. One is what they refer to as which is a small amount of water. So let's just do that first. It's easier in a sense. Um, small amount of water. <laughs> Actually, we can't really do it first because it's anything that's not a large amount of water. So we have to know what is a large amount of water. A large amount of water in the Hanafi school and the Medhabs will differ on this. A large amount of water in the Hanafi school is basically something, a body of water that's at least 10 arm lengths by 10 arm lengths and one hand scoop deep. So like enough that you can scoop out of it and 10 arm lengths by 10 arm lengths. And what this basically comes down to is like if an impurity came in one side of it and the water moved a little bit, it wouldn't reach to the other side. Okay, this is how they defined a large quantity of water. This is why a lot of the old masajid and like historic mosques and stuff, you'll see in front a big pool, right? That big pool of water is what people make wudu from. And it's made intentionally to be big enough to be considered a large amount of water, okay? So you have a small amount of water, which doesn't reach that amount, okay? And some impurity comes into it. Some impurity comes into it. It's no longer usable. It's no longer usable. He doesn't mention this, but it is kind of important. So one possibility is that an impurity comes into it that automatically makes all of it in, impure. So you have a, you have a bucket of water and a drop of urine falls in it. A drop of urine makes the whole bucket invalid. Can't use it. It's all dirty now. Um, use your washer cycle on to rinse if you have anything that is uh, uh, that has impurities in it. Use it on the to rinse cycle. Um, so that's a little bit of water. The other possibility is something that is pure mixes with the water. So it's not an impurity, it's pure, but it's mixed with the water. Is there a point at which the water then becomes unacceptable for purification? Okay, the answer is yes. Here, there are also two possibilities. One is the thing that is mixed with the water that is pure is liquid. The other possibility is the thing that is mixed with the water that is pure is solid. Okay, so let's start with liquid. The liquid attribute of the water when it comes to um, that is that it doesn't have color 
It doesn't have smell. It doesn't have taste. All right. Doesn't have color. Doesn't have smell. Doesn't have taste. You mix a pure liquid with the water. <clears throat> and let's say that liquid has three things. It has color. It has taste. Sorry. It has color. It has taste. It has smell. If two out of those three show up in the mix, it's no longer usable. Okay. So you mix a pure liquid with the water that has color, taste, and smell. If two out of the three show up in the water, you can no longer use the water for purification. If you mix a pure liquid with the water and it only has two attributes, maybe it only has color and taste, but it doesn't have smell. If one of them shows up, you can no longer use it. But say, for example, you have a bucket of water and you spill like a really small amount of milk into it. The milk has color and it has taste, but it doesn't have smell. I hope it doesn't have smell. Otherwise, you're in bad shape, um, at least with the milk that we have from the stores and stuff. So a small amount comes in such that when you look at it afterwards, the color hasn't changed and the taste hasn't changed. Then you can still use this to purify. But if it changes, then you can't. So that's for pure liquids that mix with the water. Other possibility is a pure solid substance mixes with the water. A substance that doesn't like dissolve into the water. It kind of stands on its own. Maybe it's like anyways, they say in this regard, the mixed substance, the, the thing that's considered here is a riqqatu wasayalan, a riqqatu wasayalan, which is that the water has the characteristic of being light. Like it's not really thick. Water is not thick, right? It's very light, it's not viscous, and it's fluid. So if something mixes with the water such that it changes those quality, either of those qualities, then the water can no longer be used for purification. Meshi. Other possibility. Now, you have a large quantity of water, and an impurity comes into that water, and you can see it. You can see its effect, whether, whether it's color, taste, smell, whatever. You can see its effect. If you can see the effect of the impurity, that water becomes the, the part that's affected by it no longer is usable, no longer is usable, even if it's a large quantity of water. However, if it comes into the large quantity of water and you can't see anything, maybe some you have the huge pool, some blood comes in it. The blood mixes around, you can't see it at all, whatever. You can still use that water for purification. Purification and how, what can be used for purification is a matter of sharia. It's not a matter of just like purely hygiene or something like that. It's a matter of sharia. Um, so it's known by the text. It's known by the text. The last point, and then we're going to close, is um, if you have water that's stagnant and uh, impurity comes in it, then it also, even if... Um, then it is affected by that. It is made impure by that. So it's like not running water. It's stagnant water and impurity comes into it. It's made impure by that. If the water is running, 
then of course the part that's affected by the impurity is impure, but it's running, so it's going to go away. And then the rest of the ocean is okay. The ocean it can be salt water, can be fresh water, it's fine. The ocean is generally okay. You don't usually see impurities in the ocean. If the part that you're in somehow you see an impurity, obviously you don't use that part, but the rest of it you can use. We'll stop here, inshallah, next time. We'll pick up on Tayyamun, and then Tayyamun will be the last thing. Oh my God, we didn't even get out of Tahara. We were supposed to do Tahara and Salah. Wow, this is not going to happen the way that I wanted it to. <laughs> you can't rush it too much because then, you know, you don't learn what you need to learn. So this is, looks like this is going to take way more than three sessions. Alhamdulillah, Rabbin Alameen. But that's okay. Inshallah, if, if you have any questions, uh, um, I would suggest re-watching the section that you have questions on. And then after that, write it down. And... Um, and bring it to the next session, inshallah, we can cover it in the next session. But right now, it's bedtime, and I need to go put these kids to sleep. Good to see you all.